Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to a new episode of Audio Signals. Get ready to take a journey into the known, the unknown, and everything in between. Recorded at no specific point in time nor space, ITSP Magazine's co-founders Marco Cipelli and Sean Martin follow their passion and curiosity as they venture away from the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society to discover new stories worth being told. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Audio Signals. If you're watching the video, as usual, you already know I'm not alone here. Plus, I don't want to listen to myself, and I don't think anybody wants to listen to me speaking for half an hour. I always try to bring a good guest to to the show, and uh, because it's such a variety of topic, I guess you never know what we're going to talk about. And today, we're going to learn something about video games but we're gonna take a little stroll in memory lane i would like to to go back and in time and then maybe we go all the way to the future and understanding what it means to be a pro gamer i wish i somebody told me i could make a career of that when i was a kid but it wasn't a thing at the time but then i see that the first competition was in 1972 so i was actually a kid at the time but i don't think it was that appealing for me anyway Stay tuned. Uh, Jonathan Schroyer is with me. And uh, first, we're going to let him introduce himself and we'll explain why we're here we're talking about this topic. And then we're just going to dive in because I have a ton of questions. So, Jonathan, welcome to the show. A little introduction about yourself for our. Uh, yeah, no, guests. no, thank you, Marco. It's Marco, it's awesome to be on the show, to be one of your guests. and be with audio signals and ITSP. So I'm Jonathan Schroyer. I'm the Chief CX Innovation Officer at Arise, and I run the consulting and gaming verticals. I started my own gaming services company called Ephysium Labs back in 2019, and then we sold it to Arise last year. And I, you know, I started in early days of my career. I was with the original Xbox console. I was a, I had the, the, the very sexy job of being the forecast analyst for the call center back in 2001 for, for the Xbox console. Uh, and I, I remember the good old days of, I don't know if you remember this, Marco, where you, you get about five or, five or six of the Xboxes, five or six screens, and you'd land, land connect them with wires in the same apartment, and you'd have a, you'd have a good game day. So it's, it's good times. But thanks for the <laughs> honor to be here, man. Yeah, I, I was when I was suggested to have you as a guest, I was like, you know, I think a lot of people here once in a while on the news maybe uh about the gaming competition because it's become mm -hmm. a sport is it, they call it you know esport um there are arenas i am kind of a witness not exactly that side of the game but i was actually in las vegas to the esport arena to watch mm -hmm. a, a capture the flag event for the cybersecurity industry during uh, black hat a few years ago and i was blown away by the console and the big screen and yeah. the videos, it just blew my mind. So I'm like, I need to learn a little bit more about this. And can let, let's start with what I, you know, I said 1972, I just did a little research myself and, and how it was considered the first uh, 
competition, I guess. I don't even know what they play, but how did we get to to these apart from technology? Well, I mean, <laughs> how I do you? It, well, I think it's super interesting. So the, the, I think the official, uh, the first official competition was 1972 and kind of the winner of that got a year subscription to, to Rolling Stones. But what a lot of folks don't know is that in the 50s, is when like competitive computer games started. So I think like in 1952 was the first one and it, it was basically tic-tac-toe. That was the first kind of competitive computer game. And, and then like the first multiplayer kind of game was kind of 58 and it was called uh, Tennis 2. Again, it, it's all very localized. It's, you know, you know the, the internet's not wide, right? And, and so I think what's interesting is as you kind of get into like the 80s, you start to see the consoles start to go across all of the world, not just, not just you know, Asia, but, you know, in Europe. And in America, so you've got Nintendo, you've got Sega, then in the 90s, you have PlayStation, you know, late 90s, Xbox, and early 2000s. But there is a pivotal point uh, kind of in the 96, 97 timeframe where a lot of the competitions that were happening like in, in the 80s and 90s were all, hey, we're all going to go to a room and we're going to compete against each other because we have no way to connect to one another outside of a physical presence. Where with, with 95 and 96, you started to, you know, get the 20K, 28K, 56K internet connections, which allowed for, you know, non-AAA type gaming competitions that you could, you know, have competitions with each other. And then when the digital internet hit in the early 2000s, then it became possible for PC games to really start, you know, to network and compete with each other. It, you saw it, you know, more prevalently in Asia. And then, you know, kind of fast forward over the 20 years of the technology revolution, you see like we've gone from, hey, let's have this lo this competition with a thousand players around the world to, hey, in, in Korea and Japan, you can fill full stadiums with 50 or 60,000 people to watch people play video games. You have millions of people streaming on Twi you know, Twitch or watching Twitch now and other places like that. And then, so it's really big in Asia and then you're starting to see it come through in the Americas. And what's, what's kind of cool is you see these companies now that are be, being built up. A buddy of mine, you know, he, he owns Gen G, which is a esports company out of LA. And, and they basically recruit these professional gamers. They pay them, they sponsor them, and then they compete for much larger bounties than the Rolling Stones one year subscription. <laughs> So let, let's talk about that because I think the the connection that you just made there and then the, the key the, the pivot point was the connection, the speed, and the That's fact right. that the multitude of people could play heavy game. I mean, I'm thinking like you know, online multiplayer from you know World of Warcraft and, and so far and competing on yeah. race cars and shooters and all of that. But but you said something that is I think is the key of how you transform something from a competition between player to an economic phenomenon where sponsors come in and people enjoy watching this. Like, help me to yeah. understand if, if you have an idea of how, how did this happen? Did people even expect that? Because for me, I, I don't know. I, I don't watch people play video game. I either play it or <laughs> I don't. Well, I think it's an interesting maturation. So 
I think there's there's one pivot point which was internet or connectivity, which you called out. The second pivot point was compute power and graphics, right? Which kind of hit kind of later in the 2010s, 2015s, where we really got super strong compute and graphic um, interface. And then you got you know when you went to uh, the, even the stronger internet connections, then you could send more information back and forth. To now we have streaming games, streaming games. Um, but where where it kind of started is in the early 80s and 90s, kind of the when you're playing a game, you're trying to figure out like, hey, how do I how do I win? Like Super Mario Brothers, you know, whatever the game is, right? Um, how do I win at this game? So you would you would engage in a community, right? And that community in the 90s was ICQ chat or something like that, right? Where these gaming communities are propping up because you can all of a sudden talk to a gamer in Germany and Japan and Korea and the UK, the US, whatever, right? And so gamers love communities. They love to like hear what other people, they love to compete for sure, but they love to hear what other people are doing to see how they can improve their game. And so it's naturally kind of bred into the culture and the ecosystem of gamers to support and help each other. I mean, one of the most popular platforms for communities today is Discord. And that's because it's an easy place for gamers to support talk to each other and have fun, you know, maybe a little bit of banter. Some people com complain about the toxicity, which is which is a real thing. But the uh, what that kind of leads you to think is like, oh, okay, well, why do people want to watch other people play? But what you do is like, you start to watch, like how many people are watching YouTubers tell them how to play games and tell this millions of people, right? People are making millions of dollars for this. How many people in Korea and Japan and now in the US have multi-million dollar sponsorship agreements it's, it's largely because innately all of these players want to be the best in the world. It's a virtual identity. Think of it the way that I would think about it is everybody wants to be the Michael Jordan of video games if they're playing video games. They want to be the best. But everyone can't be Michael Jordan because they don't have the physical prowess, whatever, right? But they may have the twitch. They may have the critical thinking. They may have the communication skills. They may have those types of things, which is all up here, right, or, or right here. Like my Twitch is very slow, so I didn't end up being the best professional gamer, right? But the, you know, you know, I, I think I stopped playing professionally when I got beat by a 12-year-old. But but <laughs> yeah, I understand like why people do it, right? It's because they want to be the best. It's that virtual identity. And then and then you dovetail us, and this is the critical piece. I know it's a little bit long, but critical piece. The creator economy really started to take off kind of 2017, 2018. And people learned like, oh, I can create as a gamer. Not only can I play the game, can I be part of a team, can I win money and sponsor, but I could be a creator on Twitch or other places, right, YouTube and whatnot, um, TikTok, and I can make money that way too. So I think the creator economy was the last thing that kind of pushed it over the edge in the U.S. It was already really large in, in Asia, but it kind of pushed it over the edge in the U.S. to become a, a mainstream thing. It's a very interesting phenomenon because you're connecting it with the creator economy, which then it's what created i'm repeating the word here but created the uh, the influencer phenomenon which that's right you know it, it at least i'm not gonna talk bad about influencer they talk about fashion or makeup or i mean i if i pick up the the bass and i want to learn a new song i'm probably gonna go on youtube and see somebody playing it and, right. and show me the tag yeah. right i mean so it goes and you up you apply that to anything you want it's, it's like you need to do a, ch a chore in the house. You don't know how to fix something. <laughs> Go on YouTube, right. right? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at least the the video games is is entertaining. And 
I don't see anything different really than watching a the Super Bowl uh, just happened a few days ago. I mean, you're you're now you can watch a very beautiful render universe and and maybe mm -hmm. i'm just hinting on maybe going to virtual reality and metaverse at the end of this conversation but i th i think that the evolution of the 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 bandwidth power the computer power and the rendering it's what mm -hmm. probably helped the audience to come to yeah to i mean it. yeah it's accessibility right and that was the key thing it was it was always kind of there but the accessibility um, made it kind of go more mainstream. And I also think when you think about, you kind of touched on the creator economy a little bit, but when you think about taking the sport that we just, well, I don't know if we all watched it, but 114 million people, one third of America watched the Super Bowl, right? Where more than a billion people play, play games consistently throughout the year, every year. I think the total number of gamers globally is three and a half billion, right? So you, you have this really captive audience that is much larger than any professional sports audience globally. I, I don't know if it's as big as you know FIFA and soccer globally, but it's a really big phenomenon where you have that many people interested in video games. And then even if you take just a small subsection of three and a half billion people, 10%, you have 350 people, 350 million people that are interested and watching other people play because they want to become kind of the best in the world. When you look at video game monetization, what you'll notice is the top five to 10% of players in the world, they spend, you know, 70 to 80% of the video game revenue globally, right? So it, it's not uncommon to be like, hey, I want to be the, the best in the world because not only, you know, do I get this accolade of being the virtual identity of number one, but I get to I get to be an influencer in some cases. I get to be a creator, or I get to be an esports you know player. In some, in some cases, you get to be all three. And then when you think about being all three, then you touch on what you just talked about, which is the metaverse, right? Which is you know how are creators and gamers going to further be able to monetize and create their own fortunes inside of the metaverse? And there's like just huge opportunities there. Like in 2021, the metaverse had a valuation of about 59 billion. I did a post on LinkedIn today about this, uh, my newsletter. And in 2030, it's projected to be 1.6 trillion. And, and a lot of the metaverse is going to be related to gaming, to blockchain, to creators, esports, and so forth. So it's going to be an interesting phenomenon to watch over the next decade. It is fascinating. And it's just like the evolution of our society and uh, and how technology is allowing us to interact in different ways. And, you know, even right now, we're talking, even if we are on the same coast, but we're not in the same room. Uh, sure. Tell me a little bit more about being a, a pro gamer. So you said there are a few at the top that makes, they make the big percentage of the money. I mean, they make good money. I mean, I think that like you have professional gamers that are esports players. Like I know a number of them, you know, from Gen G and other, other kind of teams out there. And they're starting, it's pretty cool because a lot of the universities are creating like an esports e either certificate or a degree, and they're sponsoring teams and so forth. And then you have corporations that sponsor teams, and then you just have esports companies that sponsor that kind of build build the team. So you, you can make money, you know, by winning 
Well, first of all, if you work for an esports company, you can make a salary, right? So you're you're playing and you get a base right. salary, right? And then you get bonuses based off of how successful are, are your teams, what trophies do you win, what bounties do you win? You know, you might be in a League of Legends competition and you're in the winning team and you get two million dollars or three million dollars, and then that gets kind of spread across the team and so forth. So there's a component of of monetization that you make there. And then depending on how you set up your agreement with esports, some pro gamers also are allowed to do things on Twitch and other things like that. So Ninja, you know, you know, when he was on Twitch, he was making $90 million a year and so forth. And so there's a lot of really popular game, not all pro gamers make that much money, but you know, there's a lot of popular gamers that also can, can kind of monetize that through their audience. So in other words, they're monetizing the audience that follows them. Right? And then kind of the third way that you can make money is through sponsorships, uh, which is beyond kind of the kind of B2C, it's more of a B2B model. And so depending on how you set up your agreements with your, your esports company, then it'll also depend on like what sponsorships you can get and how you can monetize and so forth. But but it's all it's not too different from like how do people in Hollywood make money? How do actors make money? You know, it's not too different. It's really an it's it's really an expansion, in my opinion, of the entertainment industry. But it's almost making it like, hey, it's not not that I think actors and actresses are more of the elite crowd, but it's much harder, I think, to get in on kind of a triple A AAA movie, let's call it that, than it is to become an esports gamer and get really good at it and have a shot at going to these competitions and, and making money. You may not make a hundred million, but you might make five hundred thousand a year or a million a year, and that's that's really good, you know, for livelihood for somebody, I think. And in some cases, people may only make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, but you get to play video games all day. And it, I mean, and it, and it, depending on where you live, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year is great as well. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think you talk about the entertainment industry, but a lot of reference of actually comes to me in the sport. I mean, you mentioned Michael Jordan and everybody wants to be that. Not everybody can be, but some people make a living by playing in a, in a lower yeah. league or, you know, I'm thinking soccer, you can play your entire yeah, life in, yeah, the, exactly. in the sea level. You're not going to make, you're not going to be the Ronaldo, but you are still making good money for your family that's and right. retire right. and, and all of that. So yeah. that's really cool. Uh, but so let's use that, ma- that parallel. Everybody wants to be the good sport um, athlete. Everybody wants to be the, the, the big band and the best guitar player out there, if you want to throw the music in there as well. Uh, But it takes some skills, right? So, of course, uh, I want to be a great golf player, but I'm not. (laughs) I tried. I'm all right. Um, What does it take to be a a good video game player that can really look up and say, "I I could be at the top? I mean, I, I think there's a couple things to think about. I mean, a lot of the great pro gamers today, they didn't start playing video games last year, right? They've been pe- they've been playing since they were nine. They've been playing since they were 10, right? And now they're 18, 19, 20, 21, 25, whatever their age is, right? And so they've been doing this for like a decade, for 15 years. And a lot of that, that time has been unpaid. But, they, but essentially, they've got a lot of experience on the different genres of gaming. And so like you look, think of League of Legends, you think of World of Warcraft, even, even if you think of some of the sports games that are esports now, you know, whether they're like EA Sports, 2K, or you know, Asian, Asian sports companies and so forth, you know, you get these players that they know how to play these games really well. 
Um, and so the reason they know how to play is one is experience. So that's the first one. The second is they have enormous twitch. And what that means is their eye to hand coordination is super, super fast. So like we're talking about milliseconds fast. So when they see something on the screen in a millisecond, they respond. And so somebody that has that really fast eye to hand coordination is like, that's amazing. That's going to get you along with. The third one is like, what kind of community and relationships do you build to help you get on the teams? And that's what, when I talked earlier about gaming and community, it's really, that's just, it, there's three and a half billion people that play games, but a lot of the, the gaming companies um, are a little bit closer knit. So, and then a lot of the esports companies, the, the communities are closer knit. So how do you build those relationships with the players, with the sponsors and so forth? So building those relationships, I, I think are super key. And then I think the fourth thing that you have to think about is like, what is your motivation um, for doing this? You know, do you want to be the best in the world? Do you want to make money? Do you want to be an influencer? You have to think about that because I think communication skills and talking to your fans is a different scale if you're like on Twitch and sponsor versus like, hey, I just want to play games and be, get paid for it and do an amazing job. Well, maybe esports is it for you and you don't have to worry about your fans, right? So mm -hmm. it kind of depends on which of the areas that you really want to focus on. Yeah, and kind of build your uh, brand persona. Uh, That's right, yeah, yeah. To extend it above and beyond just the skills, but also to crossing the entertaining. Can I entertain people? Can I, right. can I right. do content that is sticky? And, yeah. and and become viral. So that's that's a really good point. Is You, you mentioned a few different kind of, you, you talk about sport games, you talk about multiplayer universe and, and, and League of Legends. Mm -hmm. Statistically speaking, is it one of few categories that are more popular than other for people to watch? I'm thinking from an entertainment, not to play it, but to yeah, the audience yeah. to watch. I mean, I think it depends on geography. I mean, I think that obviously globally, multiplayer games, MMORPGs, those types of games are really interesting because they're really complex and they're difficult. And, and so they're not the easiest games to be successful at. And you really have to not, not, do, not only do everything I said, but really think about critical thinking, teamwork and collaboration. Like in order for you to win a League of Legends tournament or World of Warcraft, I mean, that's almost synonymous, you know, to winning the NBA championship or, you know, to winning, you know, the NFL or the World Cup in some cases, depending on the tournament, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if it's a global tournament, because those are so competitive and so challenging to win it. So you, you see a lot of a lot of the sponsorships and the big kind of bounties go to those in Asia and, and in the US. But you also see like, I mean, FIFA. I know FIFA has a huge following globally for esports, and because the physical sport is so popular, right. then the virtual sport, you know, is really popular. And you think about FIFA; it's not only not only do they do esports, they have the game sales, but then they have the card games, the virtual card games, not physical card games, but virtual card games um, as well, which they can, which are competitive games online, which they may or may not always do on e on esports, but they're really competitive. And you can win a lot of money depending on you know what, what teams you have there. But then there's, I mean, I think there's other games like that people love to watch and see tournaments like fighting games are really popular because they're quicker, they're quicker watches than watching in an yeah. MORP tournament. Like you can sit down for 30 minutes or an hour and you know who wins the fighting tournament and so forth. But mm -hmm. it's amazing to see like the different games that are that are coming out. I mean, I know that I 
on the sponsorship and on the Twitch or like Twitch streaming and game streaming and YouTube side, you see a lot of like mobile games, which are coming. Marvel Contest of Champions is a popular one, has you know multi millions of people that play the game every day and so forth. So you, you see the you know number of different places, Mortal Kombat and things like that. But I think there's a Warner Brothers released Harry Potter's Hogwarts um, Legacy recently, which is going gangbusters of growth and lots of, and so there, it's all these different kinds of games, which is interesting. And then I think uh, kind of finalizing my, my answer to your question is then you think about the metaverse and it's going to be even super interesting because people are going to go watch people while they're in the metaverse and get a whole different I, I, I love you in there because I was going to go right there. I was going to be going to the next step and the evolution. And I, I had a lot of conversation about the metaverse and now it's more about chat GTP, but <laughs> the metaverse a few months ago, you know, everything that you needed to talk about that is a marketing, is a the buzzword, whatever it is. But the truth is that it's probably going to happen. So there is, you know, the virtual reality element of it, which it makes me think about the application in music, like, you know, to they're, they're testing that right? concert where you're going in the metaverse and you're watching a concert, your first row, second row, whatever it is, you're getting the backstage. I'm thinking exactly when, when you were explaining, you know, the, the FIFA relationship with the gaming industry, I'm thinking like you can fill up a, a never ending stadium for people yeah. watching the game. That's right. Fascinating. Yeah. I'm thinking like a city like Singapore could have five different stadiums there and you just go see one game versus another. I mean, you could replicate yeah. reality. So yeah. let, let's I, go I mean, there. Tell, tell me I, about the future. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting because imagine a World Cup where in every country there's an esports champion for FIFA. And then that that player represents their country in the virtual World Cup in the metaverse mm -hmm. where they're they're playing against each other. Ostensibly, they can see each other, you know, like more in a 3D mode, whether, you know, whether it's an avatar, whether it's actual, you know, depending on how technology progresses, seeing actual people. But then you... That's one part of it, right? As a player, you know, you could be down the field, ostensibly playing the game beyond just the controller. You know, we're talking 10 years down the road, right? But you can, you can ostensibly be yeah. the player that's kicking it to the other player and you could see it all yourself. But then imagine you're the fan that's sitting in the stands that depending on where your seat is, you could see different angles, but because it doesn't really matter where you, where you are in the metaverse, you could change your seat you know, for an upgrade fee or whatever, or maybe mm -hmm. not a fee at all. You could change your seat, seat automatically to see a different angle of the game um, that you can't do in physical life, right? And then there's the sponsorship opportunities, you know, they there's easy ways to charge fees to attend it and all that kind of stuff. In addition to like going to a stadium um, to watch these kind of esports things as well. I think Samsung had a interesting product that they were thinking about immersive experiences. And they were trying to figure out in physical experiences, like how do you allow fans to see all the different angles of a physical sport um, from the television, right? And But it's that same concept, but then you go 10 years ahead in the metaverse and it's a completely immersive experience that where the things that we aren't even dreaming about today are going to happen in the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, like when you watch, I don't know if you're a Formula One fan or not, but that there is a camera on the helmet. And so you oh, can yeah. see the, the point of view of the, the driver or, 
that's right that's what right. it sees so i'm thinking like even in another sport you could go in the head of the player like yeah. either as a shooter or whatever you could see the show from the perspective of the players which is that's right. pretty pretty crazy i mean i love to think this kind of uh sci-fi that then you discover is not sci-fi so much more and it's become reality you know yeah. it's it's and then like like we if we take it i totally agree we take it to another angle so you go to and this is going to be like a niche angle but still i think it's a fun one to think about so you go to like a virtual sporting event in the metaverse right well what's outside of a physical sporting event vendors mm -hmm. so then you have all of these vendors outside of the entrance right to the virtual stadium to sell you stuff whatever it is you know nike, yeah. nike shoes adidas you know whatever the popular italian you know sports you know maker is whatever it is right uh, the uk the german whatever it is so you you have all these vendors where you could do that and then you take then you flock in and say well you know then then maybe they're selling nfts maybe the way that i purchase it is using cryptocurrency which is nope. you know volatile right now but in 10 or 15 years it'll be less volatile and so it's kind of super interesting to think about virtual payments, virtual currency, virtual identity, virtual sports, um, and kind of pulling them all together. Uh, there's just so much opportunity. And that's why it's going to be one point, you know, $1.6 trillion industry by 2030. Yeah, merchandise is a, is a big thing. And I've been reading about fashion, Italian, you mentioned, but all over the world, they are investing a lot of money to have a, a virtual location in the metaverse. I don't know how premature that is, but that's my opinion. But there is also people buying branded clothing, and and it's becoming such a big, uh, a big uh, economy. I want to finish with this actually because I'm, I'm always trying to get in the head of the audience and, and wondering if they're not gamers, but they you know they think about technology and economy. Otherwise, they wouldn't listen to this. Who are the company that are investing in the metaverse? I mean, in the in the gaming industry, and then eventually the metaverse. Because the first thought is, sure, all the video game company, sure, all the computer and the do the peripheral and the hardware and, and all of that. But it's much bigger than that, right? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the top fifty to hundred VCs globally, they've all got a stake in this, right? they don't all share like what their portfolio looks like but everybody that is investing and thinking about how to get a huge return of investment on the metaverse they may not know what it's going to look like in 10 or 15 years but they're not going to not be on the wagon if that makes sense and so beyond just you know the the companies that are starting up and you know, the sporting companies the gaming companies entertainment companies you, could, you got these venture capitalists globally and all the big private equity firms are also investing in these things. That's quite fascinating. So as a as a kid of nine years old now, eight, six, seven, it's and then that when the mom and dad's like, you're wasting your time, they can say, Well, I don't know, I may be building my future. <laughs> I can't I can't tell you how many parents reach out to me because I constantly not, I mean not constantly, consistently on LinkedIn and on Facebook, because I'm like, hey. I work in video games. I've been in video games for a long time. I played video games. My brain is not rotten. So this, this idea, the, the, I mean, obviously, you're playing 20 hours a day as a kid. That's probably too much. But 
but there's there's huge career opportunities in the video game space. And so I, I mentor these parents, I give them ideas on how to steer their kids, grow their kids in the right direction to think about how to make this a career versus just becoming a video game junkie or addict or whatever, because you have to be careful because it is a little addicting, right? It's fun. And so just like watching too much television can be addicting. Even like running too much, anything you do too much is addicting, right? Um, eating too much. So, but I think that if you can guide and mentor your children and give them the opportunities, it's going to be super interesting to see what the next generation of careers that come out of, you know, the video game space is. Yeah, there is a definitely another angle for the conversation, which is more psychological and, you know, the addiction that, I mean, the industry that obviously is doing the game so that people come back. I mean, that you do yeah. that even when you do a TV show, you know, yeah. um, how am I going to yeah. make them watch the third episode or the fourth episode? It's always been like that. Well, it's got to so, be entertaining, right? It's got to yeah. be interesting. So. Yeah, and, and it comes down to education and and to looking at things not with fear, but try to understand it, which is always what I try to do yeah. in our in our uh, conversation here. And I I think we we touch on a lot of different aspects, but I, I think it gives a pretty good perspective. I mean, perspective on what this industry is, and uh, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I I could definitely bring it to to other angle but i think for now we're gonna we're gonna stop and go play a game or something <laughs> sounds good man i love it let's go play some fifa i'll i will not be the u.s because i won't beat italy but, uh, <laughs> well but i, I don't know italy didn't even qualify so don't, don't let us not go there so i, I don't <laughs> talk soccer anymore after that no, no there we go, there we go. Or, or we can go play at dungeons and dragons and uh, there we go, there you know goes. on a on a board game well jonathan great conversation it didn't uh it didn't disappoint me at all i think it, we, we kept it alive i hope the audience uh stayed engaged uh and uh share with me uh any resource that you want to share with uh, with the audience and uh and they can find it in note for the yeah. podcast and uh maybe way to connect with you i'm understanding linkedin maybe yeah, one of the best yeah ways. i mean i'm so i'm i'm on linkedin insta twitter youtube and tiktok i all have, I have the same handle it's at chief cx officer i do a lot of my written video game content on linkedin I have a newsletter there as well. In fact, I just dropped, a, like I mentioned earlier, a newsletter about Metaverse. But I frequently talk about video games and esports in my newsletter. You can reach out to me if you have questions, if you want to chat. I love to talk to people. It's just, it's a fun space to be in. I'll never complain being in the video game space. It sounds to me like one of the things that you wake up in the morning and it doesn't feel like a job. And that's, true. that's true. a good thing. That's a really good thing. Well, Jonathan, again, thank you so much. Uh, everybody listening or watching, uh, stay tuned for other episodes. And uh, yeah, we'll find everything about Jonathan in the, in the show notes on the, on the podcast page. And uh, that's it for now. Stay tuned for another episode of Audio Signal on ITSP Magazine. Bye, Jonathan. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Audio Signals. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.
You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society, and some even beyond that.